Kira Johnson was a smart, beautiful, vivacious woman. She was a successful businesswoman, spoke five languages, traveled frequently, raced cars, was married to a devoted husband, had one son, and was expecting another. She was in excellent health in April of 2016 when she went into the hospital for a scheduled C-section. Kira gave birth to a healthy baby boy. She woke up in her recovery room, held her baby, talked to her husband, and all seemed well. A few hours later, Kira's blood pressure plummeted. Her heart began racing and she insisted that there was abnormal pain in her stomach. It appears that the medical professionals seemed to brush off her complaint because she didn't see a doctor for another six hours. Charles pled for help and assistance as he watched Kira's catheter bag fill with blood and his healthy, vibrant wife fade away. Eventually, doctors ordered CT scans, but hospital records show that the scans never took place. Kira was wheeled back into the OR 10 hours after her cesarean section, but it was too late. Kira died in a hospital, on an operating table, with three liters of blood in her abdomen, a painful and slow death that could probably have been prevented by competent staff who listened to Kira and Charles and advocated for the safety and recovery of the patient. Tragically, deaths like Kira's are far too common in the United States. Between 1991 and 2014, maternal mortality rates doubled in the US and at least half of those were preventable. The US performs unnecessary cesarean sections at startling rates, likely contributing to the high number of maternal deaths. Some hospitals deliver up to 70% of infants through C-section. Experts suspect that some doctors prefer this method because it's easier to schedule, faster, and they make more money per procedure. The U.S. lags far behind 45 other developed countries for mother mortality rates. Not only does the U.S. have an embarrassingly bad track record of keeping mothers alive, the rates at which mothers die demonstrate a gross racial bias. Black women, like Kira, are four times more likely than white women to die giving birth in an American hospital. Expectant mothers are not the only ones at risk in the United States. As a collective, women and people of color are categorically dismissed and receive worse care than white men. Women are up to 75% more likely to have adverse reactions to narcotics because the female body is still not used as a standard of measure in most medical trials. Women's pain tolerance are often judged to be weaker, despite scientific studies proving the opposite. People of color have a very difficult time getting necessary prescriptions linked to a racist view of drug addiction and have a difficult time finding doctors who take them and their symptoms seriously. Women and people of color are diagnosed with heart problems and other diseases at lower and slower rates, meaning that by the time a doctor catches the problem, it's often too late to save the patient's life. Hello, I'm Hannah Harper, the bipolar bisexual host of this bi-weekly podcast of Witches and Women. In this podcast, we explore the lives of powerful women, 
because they're amazing, fascinating, and inspiring. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or even YouTube. And if you do social media, Of Witches and Women is on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, so look us up. Of course, check out the website, which is our most in-depth and exciting resource. When you visit ofwitchesandwomen.com, you'll find amazing merchandise, show notes, and beautiful artwork. Sometimes, we tend to think of ancient Greece as an incredibly enlightened place. After all, they invented democracy and laid the foundation for much of Western culture. However, the past is not as candy-coated as our middle school history teachers would have us believe. Long ago, in Athens, the seat of the goddess Athena, majesty of war, strategy, wisdom, and weaving, women were dying. They were dying everywhere, of course, but this great capital of learning and enlightenment should not have been like everywhere. It should live up to its patron goddess in name and ideas. But the men of Athens were not terribly concerned about the plights and concerns of women. The citizens of Greece were comfortable, and when we're comfortable, it's difficult to understand the dangers and pains of those who are uncomfortable. For most of world history, ancient Greece very much included, doctors and teachers have treated the male body as the standard and the female body as other, even though we all start out as female fetuses. When Greece was founded, there were no gynecologists or obstetricians in Athena's great city, or probably anywhere in the world. Childbirth was seen as a religious and practical matter, not necessarily a medical matter, and among the philosophers and medical experts, the women's body was dirty whenever it performed an act of nature, and therefore her treatment was unworthy of advancement and equal care. What's more, modesty dictated that women of the time reject the ministrations of doctors whenever possible. So unless absolutely necessary, doctors were not called on to care for women or attend births. Mother and baby care was the primary responsibility of midwives. Midwifery is one of the oldest and most important professions, and one of the most persecuted. Midwives knew which herbs soothed pain, clotted bleeding, eased infection, and more. They had a working understanding of the womb, cervix, the placenta, and the umbilical cord. However, midwives were barred from the current medical findings in schools as no women of Athens were allowed to attend medical school or practice as a doctor. In about the 4th century BCE, the men of Athens were growing increasingly uncomfortable with midwives' knowledge and skill and began forcing them out of the birthing room, instead insisting on doctor deliveries. But these new obstetricians lacked empathy, training, skill, and knowledge. They had no experience, refused all training and assistance from skilled midwives, and as a direct result of their pride and petty jealousy, women were dying, and one woman had enough. Agnotiki, a wealthy, smart, strong woman of Athens, cut off her hair, changed her robes, and went to school. Medical school. 
In the 4th century BCE, Agnotiki disguised herself as a man and underwent training and then began to practice medicine. Agnotiki was able to combine the skill and knowledge of the midwives with new medical practices. Her skill set was incredible, drastically reducing mother and infant death. At first, the women of Athens turned from her just as they did from the male doctors. Agnotiki quietly revealed herself to some women in need of her care. They trusted her and she was able to heal them. Soon, women throughout Athens were calling on the doctor. This, of course, would not do. Other doctors became jealous and suspicious. They didn't suspect Agnotiki's gender or midwifery skill. Rather, they thought the doctor was romancing and raping her patients, because those are the same. For in their narrow minds, why else would women seek competent health care? The doctors of Athens dragged Agnotiki to court, where she stood trial for raping her married patients and would have been stripped of her medical license and punished. Agnotiki pulled down her tunic in front of the whole court, showing evidence and explaining that she was not a predator, but a woman and a doctor. Therefore, the women of Athens came to her because they trusted her and she healed them when her male counterparts could not. Of course, being a woman doctor was much worse than being a rapist, for some insane reason, so Agnotiki was sentenced to death. But Agnotiki's sisters stood with her. The women of Athens, including women married to the judges, lawyers, and doctors who put Agnotiki on trial, stormed to the courtroom. They shouted at the men, you are not our husbands, but our enemies who would kill the one who has saved us. Shamed by the outpouring of support for Agnotiki and unable to have a functional and stable society without the support of the women who ran their households, fed them, organized their days, managed the servants and the children and all of their other affairs, the men were stuck on the brink of societal collapse. They were forced to release and reinstate Agnotiki as a doctor and change the law allowing other women to practice medicine, including the persecuted midwives. Agnotiki continued to save many lives and is largely credited in Western culture as the first female doctor. Interestingly, her story appears to have been well documented in Greece at the time, but later historians dismissed it as unimportant and only one retelling of the story survives intact, while other iterations have been found recycled and used as bindings for other books about male doctors of the time. Because, of course. While we have come pretty far in the past 2,500 years from a medical standpoint, Agnotiki's battle for accessible, reliable women's health care is still our battle today. Instead of improving how women give birth and recover, some hospitals and doctors focus on how to charge women as much as they can for as little care as possible. And so here we are, millennia later, still dying for the same reasons. Today's episode doesn't have an advertisement, but it does have a plea 
After several years of giving gifts and spending money we didn't have to try and please the unpleasable, my husband and I finally decided, no more. This year we focused our efforts on inviting people over for dinner, writing letters, connecting with neighbors, giving small donations. Not only does this cause less financial anxiety and create more meaningful memories, but it's helped me realize that I pay way too much attention to what other people think of me, and I spend time, money, and emotional energy chasing affection that I won't get and I don't need. It's an exhausting way to live, so this season I'm focusing on what I can do for those who are truly in need of my help, and I invite you to do the same. Please look deeper into Kira Johnson's story. Watch her widower testify before Congress. If possible, please donate a small amount to a cause that champions women and minority health care. Kira's loved ones set up a nonprofit named For Kira, For Moms, which is an excellent choice. Other wonderful options include the Vital Voices Global Partnership, Days for Girls, Planned Parenthood, or the Breast Cancer Alliance. Links to these organizations and more can be found in the show notes. Today, on this Friday, the 13th of December, I cast a spell for all of my amazing listeners. I light a candle for you that as you celebrate this season, whether you are celebrating Saturnalia, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, Christmas, National Cupcake Day, or one of the other dozens of holidays this winter, that you do so with joy, love, and kindness in your heart and that all your positive energy be returned to you tenfold. That's a wrap on today's episode, which is the very last episode for 2019. Thank you all so much for listening and sharing the show. It's thanks to you listeners that I'm motivated, even on bad days, to continue researching, storytelling, and improving. If you enjoyed the stories today, please tell your people about the pod. Be sure you're subscribed to Of Witches and Women, and pretty, pretty please leave us a magical review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Check us out on social media and look up the Of Witches and Women website for even more great content. Stay fierce, witches, and come back for more amazing tales of witches and women in January. Of Witches and Women is brought to you by SHH Media, LLC.